Welcome to everybody. Doesn't eat everyone's gumbo here today. Just our first, first broadcast for 2022. Man, this is a man, a COVID year, but let's not claim it. I, I'm going to claim it that COVID would not exist anymore. This is your host, Deirdre T. Wilmer. I have Dewan Wilmer. How you doing over there in the Big D? How you doing today, man? Doing well. Oh, man, doing great, man, doing great. Just want to thank everyone who's listening. Uh, of course, this broadcast is brought to you by this, this broadcast on Spotify and as well as on iTunes. So, again, follow us here on, again, everybody doesn't eat everyone's gumbo. So, man, Dewan, let's jump right in, man. I'm going to talk about a couple of topics first. So today's topics, we're going to talk about pre-approvals. Why realtors, I don't understand why they in love with pre-approvals. And I'm going to talk about pre-approvals, which I think sometimes they brokers don't train them because, again, they, you got to get to know your mortgage professional. You got to get to know your title company. I'm going to elaborate that further. Also, too, we're going to talk about, man, rates will rise again. Okay. Also, too, everything is high. We all we thought rent was high, one, But guess what? Rent ain't high. Everything is high. <laughs> so we're going to talk about inflation and what, what is the reason why everything is high or is it the reality? OK, like rates. OK, like I said, rates will rise again. Is it just we're going back to historical rates where it should be or what? We're going to talk about that further. And also, too, we're going to talk about off topic. We're going to talk about is, again, we're going to talk about, you know, CRT and, you know, in real and it's reality. And it's called critical race theory. We're going to talk about that further. Um, a uh, trustee out in South Fair, the Cypress Fairbank Independent School District, you know, saying, you know, made some comments and lots. Some, it's, even though the comments was not directly towards critical race theory, to my opinion, is an extension of it. We'll talk about that as our last topic today. So, man, the one I want to talk about pre-approvals, man. Um, and and is and and you know and a commitment letter. Okay, so I see on on social media. You know, sometimes on Instagram and Facebook and sometimes I cringe when I see realtors, you know, plug on there about, you know, pre-approvals and commitment letters. And like I say, you know, what is a pre-approval letter? And I always say, what is it? It doesn't mean anything. You know, pre-approvals are just probably the paper I always say to your wife yourself with this morning. That could be that graphic, but it's being reality. It doesn't mean anything. It's a loan officer who took your loan out, most come from a call center. Or someone who really doesn't know credit credit risk, who don't probably know how to add debt to income ratios or how to review credit and everything else, and come back and tell you, hey, you got approved for three hundred twenty-five thousand dollars. Okay, that's cute, that's wonderful, but what does it mean? It doesn't mean anything. You're know saying because again, per approvals are just just to say, hey, go out and go look for a house. We saw your credit. We see your credit score is 640. Great. You can get a, a house at 620. Doesn't mean you're going to get the home because, again, your house, your, your application got to look at your credit. Got to look at your income. Got to look at your assets. You got to see if you have the ability to repay. It's called ATR. It's a federal statute, the ability to repay. The only individuals that are qualified who are paid the big bucks to make those decisions is an underwriter. Here at Gumbo Lending, and as I go further, let me do a pause to one. You know, say all views and expressions and comments today are not reflections of the gumbo companies, which is gumbo lending group and gumbo capital. Just want to give that disclaimer. I almost forgot the one. I'm slipping. So <laughs> as I mentioned, I forgot to inject that. Um, so as I express again, why? So what you do is contact the lender. Say, hey, first contact gumbo lending. We'll tell you 
We don't issue pre-approval letters. What we do, we issue a commitment letter, okay? We actually review the credit. It is an entirety. We actually review the income. It is an entirety. We get all pay stubs, W-2s, and verification employments. And Latin tax returns if you're self-employed or you receive auxiliary income. Or, or, or we consider variable income. And last but not least, you're know saying we try to structure to make sure it makes sense to the home that you want to buy. We don't tell you that you're going to get a $300,000 house. We don't tell nobody what they should and cannot get. You tell us what you want. This is your choice. And that's what makes gumbo lending different from everyone else. We actually bring, we put that cart before the horse. Okay, we do. Okay, we buy, make sure the cart is fine. Because that cart can last forever. Okay, you can rebuild a cart, but you can't replace a good horse. You don't have one horse. Okay, you know what I'm saying? So we want to make sure that you are taking care of your success. So again, as agents, please, please, please contact your lender and say, don't issue that pre-approval letter. Because you know how many times you get pre-approval letters to one out there and you get that pre-approval letter and then three weeks later, the couple days before closing, you get declined. So what, 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 yeah, but the one, what role does a pre-approval make sense if you get declined three weeks later? Well, I think with the pre-approval letter, it's, it's, it's a legion. Um, it's, I think it's all for legion purposes because, once again, it's a non-binding statement, and it's all based on a cursory review, meaning that it's a really, really baseline, very elementary approach to your application. It's not thorough. It's not detailed. So it's just there to keep you in the, the lead cycle for the company or for whatever group is looking to, you know, follow you through with the process. It's a good tool to say, hey, well, we can get you pre-approved. We're going to give you this certificate that doesn't really have a true meaning to it. So you have this mm, forward yeah. sense to the process and you feel comfortable. It's all for the feelings. You could say the one Wilmer is, uh, is an uh, economics um, major uh, student at, um, at SMU. And we'd like to thank you for being part of us. Uh, of course, a minute of our series. So we'd like to thank the one has been a major contributor and co-host for Everybody Does Eat Everyone's Gumbo. And, and before I close on talking about this topic, which is very sensitive to me, the one and our listening audience is because of the fact that we hold, we give something too much value. Uh, and so in, in us, I make a pledge to all of our agents, our referral for relatives or builders, get away from per pros. Demand that your file has been reviewed by an underwriter before you go and accept a, a contract. Now, by all means, take a client to go look at homes, okay? Stop using us lenders as screening. We're not here to screen folks, okay? You know, we're not, it's against all fair housing and equal credit opportunity rules and all, all the regulatory requirements for the CFPB and equal fair housing, everybody else to use lenders as a screening tool. We're not screeners for you, realtors. Take your folks out to look at houses. Build that appetite. Build that emotion up. Give them the want to want to buy. Makes a huge difference. Make our life as lenders a better, give, give us a better experience. Keep them motivated. And then at the same time, parallel, that give us time to work out, hey, what is their strike zone? What is their true appetite? Is it 275, you know, up in Ellenwood, you know what I'm saying, in, in Georgia? Or is it, or is it 315 at Johns, at Johns, at Johns Creek in, uh, in North Fulton? Okay, two different areas. Or are we looking at Paulding County? Are we looking at Douglas County in Atlanta Metro? Are we looking at, you know, saying, looking at, you know, I use a good area of Houston. Are we looking at Humble versus are we looking at, you know, I call North Cape and Ellison? Two different areas. 
two different worlds, two different school districts, two different appetites. So again, it's strategic to the customer needs of one. So I get off my uh, pedestal on that, uh, bullet bullpen on that. So let's dive into the next topic. Rates will rise again. The one, what in the world happened last week, man, with the rates, man, with the mortgage-backed securities? Talk to us. So for some time, the Federal Reserve has been talking, well, the FOMC has been talking about reducing their asset purchase programs. So to give a little backstory on that, in times of crisis, um, so for a great example, the 2019-2020 pandemic slash recession, of course, the Federal Reserve has a mandate to promote stability within the economy. So number one, the first thing that they go to is reducing the benchmark interest rate. Well, what that does is it promotes lenders to lend more money and, of course, to promote economic activity. And with more cash in the system, it used in turn to promote aggregate demand. So consumers are buying more goods. The economy is, you know, keeping a similar pace as it was pre-recession during the recession to make the recession lighter. <clears throat> but sometimes those things can't be, it can't be enough, kind of like how it was in the, in the pandemic recession. So... What the Fed will do is use unconventional policy tools to allow the fiscal side of things via the Treasury to operate a whole lot more smoother also. So let's say let's use the Build Back Better program, for example. Well, the economy hasn't been doing as well, let's say, in the 2019-2020 uh, years, but the government looks to increase their expenditures to promote you know, activity in the economy. So if general investors aren't buying the treasuries or the bonds from the treasury, the Fed will step in and buy a certain allotment of bonds. Well, what that does, that decreases the fund rate target. Well, it doesn't decrease the target, but it decreases the natural rate in the economy, which further stimulates economic growth. Well, now that we've got strong job numbers, now that we've got increased price levels, now that we've got almost on par economic activity pre-pandemic, it, the Fed's mandate to promote economic economic activity has been fulfilled. So, therefore, they're going to, of course, look to rise rates. Um, I don't see why this is such a surprise for some people. But what it does do is it causes concern because U.S. investors and U.S. consumers haven't been used to this kind of price level, given that rates, low rates do increase prices. So, but with the an increase... Go, go ahead and elaborate. Continue. I'm sorry. Continue. So with increased price levels, a lot of people do have fear that there will be an economic slowdown. Consumer confidence starts to dwindle down a little bit, which does cause a lot of forward risk on the economy. But with the Fed looking to apply tightening policies to the economy, plus a little bit of fear from consumers because of their recent rising price levels, we see a huge spike in bond yields uh, because bond yields are just a reflection of expectations on the economy. And in turn, bond yields do have a large effect on things like mortgage rates, uh, cons uh, commercial loan rates, and just the overall prime rate. So with that uh, priced into the market, plus an actual funds rate increase from the Federal Reserve, rates have nowhere to go but up. Uh-oh. Oh, the one. I got to mention this, and, and this is, I'm going to give you some facts here, okay? Historically, back in January 2015, the Fannie Mae Index, and when I give you this number, add 150 basis points, 
So just add 1.5% to this. This is what is the, the, the par rate for most financial institutions, okay? So back in January of 2015, the par rate was 3.434. So you add 150 basis points in there, you're looking at close to 5% right there, okay? That's in 2015. In 2019, January 2019, was 4.045. So again, at 150 basis points, you're looking at 5.5%, okay? Par rate, okay? I'm going to tell you where I'm going with this one. Back in 2005, okay? 2005, the one you was, you was using pre-K, man, okay? It was 5.79. You had 100 basis points, you're looking at seven. Looking at almost 8%. Okay, 7, uh, 1.5, that's 7%. Okay. Then you're looking at 1994. My graduating year, May of 1994, when I graduated high school, was 8.560. Was the was the, the Fannie Mae index. You had 150 basis points, you're looking at 10% rate at a credit score of 740. Okay, I'm throwing it out there. In 1990. 1990, February 1990, I think I was in 8th grade or going to ninth grade or ninth grade. You had 10.140 was the Fannie Mae benchmark rate. So my question to you, DeWan, okay, and I'm, I'm going to let you elaborate, and I'm going to tell you everybody what it is today. In our rates right now, if you have a credit score of 680 right now, I can give you an interest rate right now as of today. A three point five percent on a conventional, on an FHA three percent flat. If you had to lock on Friday, okay. I don't know what the market gonna be on Monday. On, on, on no, excuse me, on Monday. The market's closed on Monday because of MLK on Tuesday. Okay. So the one, are we going back to where it's supposed to be? Because these rates has been ridiculous low for the last, you know, at least the last. You know, 14 to 15 months. Are we going back to what it's supposed to be? Um, and in, in terms of the wording supposed to be, I feel like that's relative to the consumer. But this is once again, because rate environments do reflect how accommodative it needs to be to the general economy. I guess you could say yes, because it's going back to what equilibrium, what people will consider to be an equilibrium. So to meet the aggregate demand and meet the supply that we have within the economy for all goods and services. So now well, I do well, say that. By the way, well, what, what the one? Let me pause you. Let me pause you. Okay. Mm -hmm. So the Fannie Mae index is 2.96750. Okay. Mm -hmm. Which is still super aggressive good. Okay. So compared to 3.4, 4.0, 5.5, 8.56, and 10.14. Okay. And I'm going to tell you what my concerns is, and I'll let you elaborate. Go ahead. Okay, so for us, Fannie Mae, once again, once we look at the individual markets and individual rates, you do have to look at what is what does the demand look like in this market, right? Mm -hmm. So for housing, we do have a large amount of housing demand. Well, as we did, but a lot of the input costs on houses, such as the price of lumber recently, uh, the supply chain within housing goods has been tremendously decreased. Well, that's already priced into the consumer. You have a lot of people who just decided that, hey, I'm going to wait to buy. I'm going to wait till prices um, come down. So in turn, to promote more stability within the market, rates are going to remain at a very, very moderate level. 
before once consumers decide to step in and they see that price, have a confirmation that prices have gone down for the value of the house, their rates are going to be tremendously higher. So, and, and, and I'll take a turn here. If I was a home buyer right now, even though that price may be a little bit higher than it will be in the future for the value of the home, for the sake of your rate and for the sake of your loan value, right now is a perfect time to jump into the market because at the end of the day, with a significantly higher rate and a significantly lower price, you'll still be coming out paying the same amount on the same principal amount or total amount on your house as you would with a significantly lower price, but a significantly higher rate. But the one I got, and I want, and, I, and not just to you, the one I just wanted to everybody. If you want a fence to buy a house, and as you know, prices again, if we go back to these years of 115, 119, you know, back in 2005, 1994, 1990, you know, again, a, a home in, in, in Ellenwood, Georgia, and give Ellenwood was $75,000, $85,000. In 1990, which is about 300 right now, so it's about triple the cost. Okay, and not going contrary to what you just said, Duan. But if you, but you understand, you pay for what the market is. Okay, and which we'll talk about the inflation situation shortly. But the whole dynamic, if you want the fence to buy, buy why is the the is cheap to borrow? Because again, you know, 30 years ago, who was a 10 for 140? Over 32 years ago. Okay, even. Even the one, even 21 years ago, I'm excusing, less than 20 years ago, where was it? Again, 5.579. Okay. So again, I don't see it going past that unless you may see some indicators to one out. I mean, be different, but it's still good to buy. So rates are not, if you try to compare to the historic lows, yes. Okay. I give you that. But it's still cheap to borrow. Go on. And of course, once again, mm -hmm. I also don't see, I don't see anything, of course, going over the five and a half percent mark. But once again, yes, it is very cheap to borrow. And when we really look at it, when we look at real rates in terms of your historic lows, we do have negative real rates at the moment. And not just for housing, that goes for the entire general economy. Um, any product that you need to borrow for, we are in a very much so negative real rate environment. And a lot of analysts do consider this to be one of the main main catalysts of inflation. So this is also the reason why when you go to the grocery store, that bag of chips, uh, your fruits, aside from supply chain constraints, this is also the reason why the, these prices are a little bit higher. Also, you may want to go buy a used car. You're going to see the prices on these goods maybe six, five, six percent higher than you would maybe in 2018, 2019. So once again, that's a lot of the things that you're gonna have to take into account with these new rate. Hmm. So, so that so that goes to my question is so. In what is your projections? Uh, do you think that that this is just an increase right now until once the Fed's uh, once you know Federal Chair Powell speaks in a few days, few weeks. I don't know. You know when he's scheduled to speak. Uh, they will go ahead and hike interest rates anticipated. And, and then once we go to that plateau, then our rates for the mortgage-backed securities are going to taper or it's going to steadily, gradually increase to go to some of our previous year's numbers. What is your thoughts on that? So this is also very dependent on what foreign investors and private investors decide to do. So on the 25th and 26th, so that's Tuesday and Wednesday, the FOMC does meet 
Um, so there's a lot of implications. So the funds, Fed funds rate, which sets the benchmark interest rate target um, for the interbank loans, this that rate is undoubtedly going to increase. Now, as far as the mortgage-backed security purchases, I do see the Fed tapering a lot, of, maybe $100 billion in, in purchases. Um, but if that demand uh, for mortgage-backed securities is offset by private investors or your a lot of your domestic investors, then maybe we can see some stabilization in mortgage rates. Um, but if you do have a lot of mortgage-backed securities outstanding in the market, then your yields are going to spike and, of course, your rates are going to rise. Um, so it really okay. depends on what investor sentiment is is going to look like. But I think rates are generally broadly going to raise slightly. Um, and, I, and I say slightly within the mortgage market simply because that hike in the Fed funds rate. Man, OK. Well, see, that's just my thing. I, I just want to share, you know, anybody who's on the fence and trying to buy a home and everything else right now. My 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 suggestion is go ahead and knock it out. Uh, get out the fence. Go ahead and do your, what you have to do. Uh, and the reason why I suggest that and I promote that is because of the fact that, again, if you have an opportunity to borrow cheap, grab it, do it. What you waiting on? Um, as you know, because, again, you and everyone else in this home buying season is going to be on a hunt. And, I, and, that, and that's in all markets. You know, I don't think it's I don't think any market going to be not discriminated <laughs> by homes. And, and I, I ask you a question, you know, for as, you know, uh, the, the states that we serve as far as our consumer, Texas, Louisiana, uh, soon to be Georgia, soon to be Colorado. Uh, do you see any difference in the market that it was? I call it the great buying uh, marathon last last home buying season. You expect the same on your end of one? Uh, I definitely expect the same. But once again, it does depend on what consumers want and what their expectations are for the economy, which is really pivotal on what the Fed decides to do in the upcoming weeks and at their next FOMC meeting. Now, one thing I do look at, and I think this could be a very good indicator for that. So when I look at things compared on a global scale, when let's take the G10, so the US, Eurozone, Japan, New Zealand, Canada, and so on, uh, your largest 10 economies in the world, the United States is the only economy right now where real private consumption is above the pre-pandemic levels. Um, and no other nation is remotely close. Not even the Eurozone, not even Japan, uh, not even Canada, not even New Zealand, some of your strongest economies in the world right now, um, and not even China. So if home buying, is, home buying volume right now um, is a little bit mitigated due to prices, I feel as if, regardless of the rate environment, I think home buyers should flood the market once again if they see the price of the home go down. Uh, due to the price of the goods going down. But once again, I feel like the home buyers are a win-win situation because you do have a low cost of borrowing right now, regardless of the price of the home. And in the future, even when you do have a slightly higher rate, you'll have a lower cost of your home. So you do. You could say that any yeah. better. That's the truth. And even from even even also too, if you ever consider doing debt consolidation, uh, that's from a lot of our Texas, a lot of our Texas properties now are now having a lot of excessive equity. Uh, through to the, the increase of value, take advantage of home equity. Uh, of course, Texas, Louisiana, always there. Georgia, always there. Colorado's always there. Take advantage of debt consolidation. If you have some, you know, if you have your children and like, course, you're the one, you're in school, you, you know, who going to college and going to grad school. And of course, you have other expenses and high interest credit cards. Hey, 
that consolidation is the best way to go. I mean, you got a even if you got a four and a half percent, a five first case, it man, uh, it, it still knocks out that 17, 18, 19 percent credit card rate that you have all day long. Uh, you know, say so. Those are the things, even your mortgage rates are cheaper than your auto loans. Okay, take advantage of the debt consolidation. I mean. If you got the equity, it's there. It's going to constantly improve. And to me, this is the best time in your lifetime, in my lifetime, and probably ever in American financial lending, you know, saying, you know, world since the creation of this country over 245 years ago, that is so cheap to borrow on debt consolidation. I mean, and back in the 90s and the, the early 2000s, people was bone rushing to do those type of products. Man, take advantage of that. Where's money is cheap to borrow. The uh, one we talked about this uh, topic, we, we dived in a little bit, and everything is hot, man. So, um, what's going on, man? You, I know you tapped some uh, key points of it, but man, is it really high, or are we going to like rates? Are we going to a level where it's supposed to be? That's my question. Um, I think that um, we do have a little bit of an elevated price level. Um, and it's interesting enough, and a lot of people find it troubling to wrap their heads around this dynamic, but a lot of the inflation that we are under is due to the consumer itself. Um, so you have a mix of things. So once we started to ease from the pandemic lockdowns, the Treasury and, of course, the U.S. government um, provided assistance in many ways. Um, of course, you had the stimulus checks. Of course, you had a lot of protection programs for small businesses and plenty of tax credits. So private savings and consumer savings skyrocketed over that period. Um, and so what, and they were an aim doing this uh, to promote consumption, to support the economy, like I was talking about earlier. Well, when that happens, we have to realize that not everything is produced inside of the U S uh, like it was that we buy today in our grocery stores and everything else, like it was maybe in the 1940s, 1930s, we have a very globalized economy in terms of goods. Mm -hmm. And the U.S. is one of the only countries that has been fully open consistently since, I would say, late or, you know, very early 2021. And pairing that with a strong, strong, strong dollar uh, relative to the rest of the world, pairing that with a very strong amount of consumer activity, we completely strain the entire global supply chain system. Um, so as soon as we, as soon as other countries that had goods that we demanded had their orders filed, got it shipped off. Hey, another slew of orders were coming in, no matter what good you were, you know, interested in. So that caused a lot of pr prices to rise um, simply because there was not enough supply to meet the demand within the U S number one, number two, um, Firms had pricing power, and they still do have pricing power. Because you have the excess savings, because you have a little bit of extra money in your pocket from a lot of the government assistance programs, you're more willing to take any price that you know you can get. It's not like you know this is cash that you would have not made had the government not supported you um, via the stimulus check. I agree. I agree. Yeah. You think so the stimulus, and that's and but the one before we all miss the start, and I want you to elaborate and continue what you're saying. But did to be honest with you, did in your opinion, did the stimulus and and also to the the advance of the child tax credit checks, did that overinflated our economy? 
put too much stimulus in? Did that hurt or, or uh, I wouldn't, didn't make any it, difference? Yeah, it wouldn't make any difference. It, I don't. I think it did more help than hurts um, because okay. we were in structural deflation in real terms. Number one, number two, um, without a lot of these, a lot of this impulse, I call it, in con- mm-hmm. consumption and consumer savings. Uh, the economy wouldn't be as moving as strong as half as strong as it would right now. Uh, so that's one thing you do have, we have, do have to look at. Uh, number two, people were still willing to take the prices that firms are offering. Um, now, if people were to go and save that money um, instead of spending it, which I know, regardless of each situation, is very very much of a tough ask, um, we probably wouldn't see as much price pressures as we do right now. Because um, I think a lot of a lot of firms, a lot of producers are essentially strained by the amount of demand that they're getting from the U.S. economy. So naturally, we are going to see an increase in prices. Now, I know CPI year over year just recently printed right around 7%. And it is the highest since the early 80s. But once again, when we look at real inflation, it hasn't grown that much when we chain this back to 2012 or even the 90s. Um and the Fed is actually, this is one of their goals. They wanted inflation to run a little bit hot, well above 2%, to average inflation out in real terms at 2%. So some can call this an equilibrium shift um, or just the economy meaning back at equilibrium. But once again, I think the real issue and the real fear that we may have here is deflation in the longer term. So in the short run, yes, we do have inflation. Yes, we do have increased prices, which does hurt a little bit to the consumer. Mm-hmm. But I feel like we do have a long-term issue if we cannot sustain at least a stable price level. Because if the Fed does hike rates aggressively and they do combat inflation aggressively, we could go back to what we saw before 2019, where we do have inflation you know, ranging under that 2% mark, which can lead us into a deflationary environment, which in turn is not good for the economic health of the U.S. in the long-term perspective. So it's, it's we're at a very pivotal point for our economy, um, and the Fed does have a lot in front of them. The consumer has a lot in front of them. So it's going to be an interesting next cycle, most certainly. But um, I, for us prices, you know, I would yeah, I wouldn't yeah. get too comfortable with high prices right now. Express expect prices to mitigate themselves, um, but do not be surprised if this persists, maybe for the next two quarters or so. And two quarters means the next six months, I'll listen on, it's probably go all the way to the summer. And, you know, summer is always increasing summer because, you know, the cold weather when things get a little bit cheaper because no one's out and about because of the cold weather. And the summertime when everybody's thawed out, out and about, of course, is, is I mean, is wonderful. I mean, you know, uh, you know, and everything else. So, I mean, that's the whole, you know, the whole dynamic and everything else. So, um, and everything. So that is... One of the things that um, that um, a to one, and so that's really you know is dynamic and everything else. So uh, my my next thing that I just want to you know just want to ask you this this question to you you know just out of just out of reach is the fact that. Do you feel the fact that this will hurt politically as we go into the midterms, um, you know, for the, the current leadership, the Dems in office and everything else? Because, you know, everything is about controlling the message um, and, and it's an entirety. So do you think this will hurt politically or people, Americans would know, is that, hey, this this is 
you know, par for the trade? Uh, it'll certainly hurt politically. Um, and I think that's why you see a lot of movement in both parties. Um, there's such there's it's kind of uh, entertaining to watch. There's such a fiscal conservative revolution. Um, and I'll give you, for example, uh, Chuck Schumer. Um, mm-hmm. you see a lot of action going with that. So it gives a platform for fiscal conservatives to have a talking point saying, hey, look at this inflation. Because of all of these programs, you're getting this inflation, which carries some truth in some part, um, but it's not the whole truth. But like you said, it's about controlling the message. So you are a lot of the I call it a lot of the existing uh, cabinet, a lot of the existing um a lot of your existing candidates within the House, within the Senate, are going to receive some blowback because of you know what the economy looks like right now in terms of inflation. Because unlike the rest of the world, Americans and inflation do not you know blend together, right? Even though inflation may be for the greater good of your future in the long run, inflation is never a great you know great thing for the American public in the short term. And as American consumers, since we are the consumers of the world. We do have a tunnel vision to what, you know, inflation means to our economy. And when we see inflation, we automatically assume, hey, inflation is bad. So, of course, it's going to have some blowback. Um, But once again, this is why it's extremely pivotal um, on what the Fed is going to do. And, of course, given that the Fed doesn't, of course, represent what is happening in D.C., Um, I know there are definitely some kind of pressures put on the Fed to perform in the interests of D.C. So it's going to be very interesting um, and it's going to be a very interesting year, given that this is an election year. So. Yeah, that's the and that's the key. You know, it is election year and that's going to be interesting because, again, you know, and I'm not getting I'm all about I'm pro I'm pro consumer, but most pro pro business Uh, businesses need income in order to hire more staff in order to reinvest in the community Uh, and the community is based on taxes, based on uh, hiring employees and offer consumers a choice. Uh, A lot of times we got in this element that's in. And I don't know if it's controlled by people, not for profits or just the media. No one knows. I mean, it's, it's an argument of beating down on folks who reinvest. Man, take care of those folks. I mean, my thing is that, you know, I, I'm all about quality. If you want to separate between businesses, you just find quality. Do you have a relationship with the with the customers? I mean, with the, with the customer. Do you have a relationship with the, you know, with that business itself? You have a relationship that goes beyond. If you got to pay an extra 25 cents, 35 cents, or even up to a dollar for a product where you know that you bring it back, they're going to take care of you. They're going to give you a good service. They're going to go above and beyond. Man, take care of that business. You don't understand what they engage and what they deal with. And so, you know, and those are the things. And 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 just an outreach, and, and like you said, is the fact that for us, you know, with the, with the market right now, you feel the fact that in the summertime, and like I'm, and my assumption, once we get back to COVID, I my projected things should be going back to normal for us prices. Am I kind of on the uh, correct on that by any chance? In your opinion, um, like I said, it really depends on what the Fed does in the upcoming FOMC mm-hmm. meeting. Uh, but mm-hmm. let's say, assuming that the Fed did nothing and kept their same policy, I still feel as if we have to wait for are are the economies we depend on for our good supply to really come back to their life to meet the demand that American consumers have 
on these other economies and producers for prices to somewhat stabilize. Um, the issue, like I said, the main pressing issue is the supply chain. Um, regardless oh, of how yes. Much, yes, that is true. Yes. Regardless of how much money consumers have um, in their in their savings, American consumers, like I said, we love to spend, right? With the with the strong dollar, we we use it to our advantage, and rightfully so. So once again, we need we either need one or two or two things to stabilize prices: more domestic production, which is not something you can do in the very short run or create in the very short run. Increasing domestic production and various goods and specialized goods takes years and sometimes decades to do so. Or you need more of an output and more dependence on your consumption-based nations, um, or I would say your producer nations, like a China, um, like the Eurozone, like Taiwan, like Japan, that we consume a lot of goods from that we have a large, um, we have a large trade trade agreement with. So that's also going to be the key, right? Can the supply chains keep up with the ensuing demand? Um, and that's going to be a very big question. And that's why rising rates and reduce it in reducing the accommodative policies from the fiscal and monetary side is going to be huge. Because at this point, if we can't expect supply chains to improve and from the global situation, we may need to bring back down the aggregate demand that American consumers have right now. So it's very pivotal. And the only time frame that I can give that is within the next two quarters. So June, the summer is going to be the world of everything. Certainly. Wow. The summer. I would, I mean, you know, this is, I, I'm going back, you know, the one you go back probably in the last five to seven years, 10 years tops me, I go back the last 30 years. Uh, you know, I go back to I was in high school. I started in following the United States economy until I was about eight, nine, ten years old. Man, I, I never seen it like this before. I mean, you know, of course, I, we never lived through a pandemic. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, we I've lived through wars, you know, through, you know, of course, in high school was Persian Gulf um, and the first one. And then, of course, you know, there's uh, uh, the Desert Storm was, of course, throwing you know, right when, you know, 9-11 happened the year you was born. Uh, of course, you know, I was in my mid-20s. So, you know, so, you know, you can do the math. So over 20 years ago, since we, you know, since we invaded uh, Iraq and Afghanistan and everything else and, you know, and everything that took place there. So, and right now we're not in a war time. We are not any type of war environment, probably the first time in history. Have you considered that? Does that has a lot to do when the world is really at peace? Think about that. Do you think that? Because it's something I've never seen in our lifetime. The one is it because the world is at peace? Does that have a lot to do with it? And America is always in, engaged in, in every domestic issue affairs whatsoever. It's always been big brother to the earth. So do you think that has anything with it or is not? I, I really want to attribute it to that. Um, of course, because when you see war, you do get accommodative economic policy, usually from the host nations or whatever nations may be involved. Um, but once again, I think this has to do with a completely new monetary theory that a lot of central banks have been testing out, which some people refer to as modern monetary theory. Um, because dating back to 
2013, 2012, you've had a large coalition of global central banks provide accommodative policy through what we know as today is quantitative easing. And so what, what happens is you promote so much liquidity and retrace so much liquidity from markets in a very short period of time, the general consumer and of course the business world has not been used to this. This is something that is very new. That's why it's still referred to as modern monetary theory. It's more of a test. Um, so that's why what we see in rates and what we see in price levels today is very different from what we've seen historically. Hmm. Man, you couldn't say that any better. And, and you know, and just so uh, DeWan, I just want to, you know, turn this over to you is, you know, DeWan is, of course, the, the founder of Gumbo Capital and he provide, uh, of course, you know, um, investment consulting services whatsoever. So DeWan, how do people reach out to you if they have more information uh, reaching out to you for investments and and what services, uh, man, do you all offer at Gumbo Capital? Because I'm hearing great things about you all. Yeah. So um, if you want to look up any resources that you may need, um, any information, any insights about you know, economic markets, financial markets, just visit the website and that's GumboCapital.com. Um, and you can see a lot of the information there. There's a lot of insight on what's happening now, what's happening then and what's happening tomorrow. Um, and as far as services, um, if you manage your portfolio, you have an, an investment brokerage account, so an IBA, IRA, whatever it may be, um, we do help you allocate properly according to the macro environment, through research, um, newsletters, and you know, very, very personalized portfolio management tools, such as um, your value at risk models, your weighted average capital of cost models, and, and much, much more. Um, so once again, just visit the website, gumbocapital.com, and there's a lot of information and a lot of value that you can dwell into yourself. Oh, man, you couldn't say it any better. And, you know, and uh, just, you know, uh, and again, also too, please, uh, the website is wonderful, great, lot of information, but also to follow on the daily data. I mean, the daily posts that you put on Instagram, uh, that you put on Facebook, it is phenomenal. So please give your tag for Facebook and Instagram, because those daily updates are powerful. Definitely. And what and how do they follow you on Instagram and on a daily updates? Because I love them to pieces. Okay, yeah. Um, so once again, Instagram, same as the website, just Gumbo Capital. Uh, of course, not dot com, the Instagram. Mm -hmm. Um follow me on Instagram. And if some for my Snapchat people, um, because I know Snapchat's really immersive with your daily dose of social media and whatnot. Um, follow Gumbo Capital on Snapchat, same thing as the Instagram at Gumbo Capital. And you could see what our daily series is. And I feel like that's one of my favorite things um, about Gumbo Capital. Every day there's new information about the macro economy, uh, which is very pivotal. So if you have any portfolio that you manage yourself, and because I know retail investing is one of the new in things, and I don't. I think it's here to stay. If you are a retail investor, or if you are a professional investor, and you want a little bit more edge on the markets and a different perspective, following Gumbo Capital, not just on the website and our insights, but on social media is going to give you great perspective and a clear head and a clear vision going forward in your day in and day out operations. Um, and I really stress this from a retail guys, given that I know retail guys don't have as much access to the databases as your professional guys do. Um, mm -hmm. understanding different dynamics in the markets that many may not see is very key to not getting margin called every Tuesday afternoon. 
because there's a lot of people out there getting margin called trying to put their life savings into some crypto coin or uh, some <laughs> kind of risky asset. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow! I hear that lot, and we're gonna say that we're gonna do a show, man. I'm gonna let you. We're gonna talk about crypto, and uh, of course, you know they brought the Staples Center, the naming rights there, and so it's like cryptos and and it's well, and Ron bought the naming rights for Minimate Park when uh, before it was Minimate Park. Show, oh man, wow! You see, I see where you're going there. That's why. All right, I'm gonna make sure we're gonna do an episode on everybody does eat everyone's gum, but we're gonna talk about crypto. Is it is it or is it a is it a reality or is it a hoax? And we'll talk about that. And uh, I want to go into our final topic, and it's a solemn topic, and it's a topic that I really, you know, I've been on my mind and really um, don't, you know, really hate to discuss, but it's a conversation that needs to be had. And um, I invited a couple of uh, teacher invited, so I invited also to an individual who works in. Um, for a major school district, uh, both school districts, uh, major school districts, and bring it on in uh, for talking about this hot topic. But inviting uh, them, but I want to get my perspective. And at a later time, they may join in and put their two cents into this conversation. Uh, I don't want to talk about the gentleman name. Um, I, um, the gentleman is on the just new elected on uh, the board of trustee at Cypress Fair Bank in the school, di- independent school district. And the one uh, you're a, you're a pro graduate. I'm assuming that uh, at Cypress is that correct? Almost oh, definitely. Yeah, you're a software grad. Uh, a lot of so- a lot of great folks come out of software. Uh, got Hilda, our county Harris County Judge, uh, Ms. Hidaga, uh, of course the uh, Agamo. Ag- what do you pronounce say? Agamo Wiki uh, girls, uh, ladies that uh, you see on ESPN. Uh, they were WNBA stars. Come out of Stafford, uh, and there's many, many more. That's unsung. Um, that's that. They're kids of color. Um, that comes come from the third largest school district in the state of Texas, and probably, and I may be wrong, the largest uh, largest suburbia school district uh, in the nation. And surprisingly, that suburbia school district is Title One, and Title One means more than fifty one percent or greater are students that receive free or reduced lunch. People assume that's a hood thing. No, it's a suburbia thing too. It's America thing, uh, and people don't understand that everybody that's poor. Don't live in the hood. You got a lot of more. I think my person being the more poor people live in the suburbs and rural areas. People just think it's a hood. That is a misconception. Okay. And so make that clear. And so the hot topic in our nation, I don't, I don't go too much political to one. And as you know, and you always coach me not to, you know, um, is with the critical race theory uh, versus reality, you know, and I, and I'm not going to go into the critical race theory conversation because to me, uh, and as a as a as a compassionate conservative, and I make that clear, I'm a compassionate conservative. OK. Um, and if you don't remember, just Google it. OK. Um, I believe in that all God's children should be loved. And I just want to make a statement and I may elaborate further after. So I just want to and and just to give you some 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 history, of what happened this past week, as you may know, is all over the news um, that there was a study uh, that Cy Fair Independent School District. Uh, the superintendent, um, Dr. Hearing, uh, had brought up and tried to recruit more uh, black and brown and Asian, all minority uh, students into a very diverse school district. If you've never been to Houston, um, you ever been to Houston? Houston is more than probably diverse city in the world. It's not New York. Uh, New York is very segregated. I'm going to put it out there. 
you know, folks live in the Bronx, folks live in Brooklyn, folks live in Manhattan, folks live in Staten Island, folks live in Long Island, folks live in Westchester. They live all over. Different different groups live in different sides of town. I can say that because I've I've worked there. Okay. And and I love my I love all my bureaus in the NYC. But the good thing about Houston, Houston's so diverse, where you got black, brown, blue, green, pink, everybody else live in the same neighborhood. I love it to pieces. And that's what, and to me, the one, did that help you? become a great student and become a great individual in your eyes by being educated in a diverse background. Is that, is that in a diverse environment? Excuse me. Is that true? Uh, certainly. You said it right. Like when you said educated, uh, that's definitely what it helped me uh, learn. Cause once again, the core premise of education and core premise of intelligence is perspective and living in communities like that gave me the utmost perspective on plenty of cultures. And now that we live in more of a globalized world, and a more connected world, job, not just career opportunities, but once again, learning opportunities, life opportunities are expanded. Your palate is expanded just from what's down the street from you, right? And to take mm. advantage of these mm. things, you have to have the perspective of not just what, what you're used to, but you know, perspective of what's something different. Now, living in such an extreme, extremely diverse community made what is different to the average person normal to me so i feel like i can go okay. anywhere in the world. wait wait the, the one i gotta make it laugh <laughs> all through the years of coming going through our home you know i say every walk of life have come through our door oh yes every walk That's of true. life every walk of life every walk of life that kid i have coached from so every social economic background every type of white kid Every type of black kid, every type of Hispanic kid, all different sects of the Asian communities, if it's, if it's Eastern, Southeast Asia, or Middle Eastern, you know what I'm saying, have come through my life and your life to one. And so, but guess what? Most Americans don't experience that to one. Or they experience the same people they worship, same people they go to work, same people they go to school, or, 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 or play with, I should say, for it's going out and spending time with socially. But diversity has always become uh, become now is almost in a sense this elephant in the room. It's like, you know, but everybody's not going to agree with you. Everybody's not going to like you. Everybody's not going to support you. You know what I'm saying? Everybody is not going to be your friend. I always say that. You know, I always say that, Duan. You know, everybody's not going to give you 100% approval rating. That's just a part of life. And so as I before I go into my final kind of commentary, so the gentleman made a statement. I don't want to, and I'm paraphrasing. I like, I prefer to quote him directly, but I'm gonna paraphrase as close as I can. Stating the fact that you know that he wants to maintain Cy Fair as a powerful school district, and as we and, and as you know, as HISD have a certain percentage rate of dropouts. You know, and we're gonna talk about dropouts for a second before I go into my commentary. And we don't want, and we bring more black teachers then our dropout rate is going to increase, and I don't want to go there. And that's what he said, stated, and I paraphrase. And last time I know the one, you may have known, I don't know if you, when you was at South Falls, and, and I may be wrong. I mean, you can't tell me you don't know a kid that, that dropped out, because I knew when I was growing up. And they didn't drop out because they, it was because a teacher made a drop out. They dropped out because somebody in family passed away. They didn't have a mother and father. You have a classmate of yours who played football with you. Both his parents passed away. Am I correct? Yep. Yeah. 
And guess what? I mean, he, I don't know if he graduated or got his GED or what he had to do. He had to do to put food on his table. Am I yep. correct? Yep. That had nothing to do with, you know, if it was just because of a, a black teacher. But it took black teachers, white teachers, Hispanic teachers, Asian teachers on that campus to come up and support that young man because he lost the those folks who love and support him. So it's not always based on a color. It sometimes is based on a situation, and most of them an economic situation. I don't care if you are living in a, your parents leave you a million dollars in life insurance policy. You may not have access to it until you may graduate from college or turn 25, based on what the will of the trustee says. You got to put food on your table. So just assuming that, and that's why I lead to another question with this issue goes back to CRT, is that you cannot tell me dropouts had anything to do with based on who you plug and who you recruit to have minority participation. Because again, teachers, you need all walks of life. I just don't need black teachers. I need black teachers who come from an upper middle class background or a higher, upper income background or a lower income background so they can relate different students, different walks of life. Everybody didn't grow up in the hood. I didn't grow up in the hood, Dewan. You didn't grow up in the hood. So you can't relate to somebody who didn't grow up in the hood, got called a struggle. Okay? Two different contracts. And we have to understand education is not a one-size-fit-all approach. Okay? It's not. Every every It's like Dallas is different from Houston. Houston is different from Baton Rouge. Baton Rouge is different from New Orleans. The Hidalgo show different from Lafayette. It's different from Shreveport and different from Douglasville, Georgia, and Dallas, and inner city Atlanta, and as well as Lawrenceville and Swanee. They're all different places. And you can't create a one-size-fit approach because South Fair, the one, is totally different from Katie. Am I correct? Certainly. Yes, totally different. And and so I want to lead this piece, you know, as as we live in an evolving world that all God's children are residing in peace. We are constantly reminded that division is always knocking on its front door. The comments the other day is not surprising or disturbing. It's a reminder that a sense of community and understanding a race of people goes beyond a newspaper article or what's entertained on any media platform. But when I arrived to Houston 21 years ago from Atlanta, I passed 14 school districts by choosing South Fair due to its vision of Dr. Anthony and his board of the of, of, of he mentioned a failing student is a failing school a failing school is a failing district yes is it a perfect district no by all means it is a district that assists in grooming my son who's on his call today into the man he is today yes it took all teachers paraprofessional staff they're gay straight rich poor black brown blue green white and anything else is possible you know saying they made it possible but also, too, I spent my time in the district as a parent. I made the commitment. I committed tens of thousands of dollars and hours from Dean to Hamilton, from South Park to South Falls, which I won championships, not just won championships in games, but molding great young men into what they are today. This is the district for everyone, which is my side fair and my America, not to those who feel coming to every meeting to bully this board and this community to get their way. As long as I got blood flowing through my veins, 
I won't allow a great school district to be wasted by the pits of our community. Dr. Hearing, you as a superintendent, your leadership is now in play. What are you going to do? My question to you. Yes. You were saying, yes, the, the gentleman on your trustee that's on your board. Yeah, it would be wonderful to cherry pick students, my man, and staff that you prefer. But the reality is that we have to accept the good with the bad and not just represent just specific zip codes, but represent all. This is not just our side fair. This is this is not just your side fair. This is our side fair. And this is my America. And I conclude today. Dewan, I thank you as always, man, for joining in uh, with us as always. Uh, I appreciate you, man. And good luck to you this semester. You know, and I appreciate you. And as we conclude, conclude this edition of Everybody Doesn't Eat Everyone's Gumbo. Dewan, how you feeling, man, for tonight, man? Feeling great. Great, man. Man, I, man, I appreciate you, man. And Man, everything else, man, and this concludes tonight's episode. See you next time. Again, follow us on iTunes and Spotify. Again, peace, joy, love, and its pursuit of happiness. Good night. <laughs>